and the fact that he has come uh, with the gospel truth and how we can be in a right relationship with the Lord. And so we've taken the time to, to focus on those things because it prepares us for what we're going to be talking about this morning, and that's to actually receive Christ, to actually have him a central part, an important part, the part in our lives. And we're going to see how this happens in the life of a couple of folks here this morning. We've been uh, looking at different people um, as we've gone through the last four weeks. Uh, We've seen uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, those unsuspecting participants in God's plan of salvation. And in Zechariah, a great example of how we can have those moments of deep doubt of what's going on in our lives or something maybe God has said to us. And then God lovingly and firmly kind of moves us back to a place of trusting faith. Uh, We were able to see Mary, the humble servant, who was willing to say that I am a humble servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Even though that act of surrender to God and his will for her life radically altered her life in ways that she rarely understood. (laughs) And again, that's something that sometimes we can identify with. We saw the shepherds, the joyful witnesses who were the unlikely recipients of that angelic birth announcement on the night of his birth. They couldn't wait to find him, and then they couldn't wait to share about him. And then last week we did see the wise men, those determined worshipers who traveled 700 miles to seek and find and worship Jesus the Messiah, while at the same time, less than six miles away, the Jewish religious and political leaders rejected and ignored them. And so this morning, it is totally appropriate on Christmas morning that we look at Jesus Christ himself, the focus, the the central character of the story that we've been looking at. And as we look at Jesus this morning, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a promise kept. When Jesus Christ is born, he himself is a promise that is kept. It's a promise that God made and now he fulfills to all mankind. It's also a promise that God makes to us individually and that he has now fulfilled. Because with God, a promise made is always going to be a promise kept. And the promise that he had made to us as the human race is simply this, I will send you a redeemer. I will send you a Savior. I will not leave you separated from me, but I will provide a way for you to be reconciled and to come back into a relationship with me, your Creator. You can trace His promise to send a Savior throughout the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where He promises Adam and Eve in the garden after their fall and talking to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Is a picture there that showdown between Jesus and Satan that take, that's going to take place at the cross where Satan thinks that he is winning the battle by seeing Jesus die when in reality his death, the death of Christ, is actually paying the penalty for sin. And then three days later, Jesus is going to defeat Satan's sin and death through his resurrection, which was something Satan did not see coming. Then you go to the promise that God makes to Abraham that the Savior would be one of his descendants, meaning that our Savior was going to be a Jew. 
Through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. There's the promise that he made in the book of Isaiah that this Savior would pay the penalty for our sins because he was going to be wounded for our transgressions. He was going to be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and with the stripes we are healed. God went on in the Old Testament to say that the Savior was going to be born of a virgin, and then Isaiah, then he went in Micah and stated that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And those are just a few of the over 300 statements and prophecies given in the Old Testament about the first coming of Christ. 300 details of this one central promise. I will send you a Savior. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus is that promise kept. Now that Jesus has come, people need to unknow and understand who he is. And those who come to understand who he claims to be then need to receive him as Savior with a thankful heart. And that's the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to go to, back into the book of Luke. And if you would turn, please, to the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Because what we're going to be seeing here in this story that we're going to read about this morning um, is, this, uh, is the fact that Jesus Christ, in fact, has been made known and he has been received. And so we're going to be going 40 days after Jesus is born. And we're moving from the little village of Bethlehem to the city of Jerusalem, and specifically to the temple that is located in Jerusalem. And we're going to go ahead and pick up our reading of that story in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that is Mary and Joseph, brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. As we go through the story, we first meet Simeon and then Anna. And before we meet them and see about them, we're going to do a little bit of background as to what's taking place this particular day as they, uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are going to the temple. Forty days after the birth of uh, any male child, but in this case of Jesus, there were two important offerings that needed to be made at the temple in Jerusalem. The first offering was to redeem Jesus as the firstborn son. The Old Testament law stated that the firstborn of both livestock and people belonged to God. And the firstborn of all livestock needed to be brought to the temple and presented as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, when it came to the firstborn son, he needed to be redeemed by a financial gift that was given to the temple namely five, uh, five shekels, which is approximately $200. Interesting thing is when you look at the fact of the firstborn being redeemed, you're actually seeing a picture of what Jesus is later going to do on the cross because he also redeems us through a price. And so there is that um, sacrifice, that offering rather, that needs to be made to redeem Jesus as her firstborn son. The second thing that needs to happen uh, uh, as they go to the temple is they need to give an offering for Mary to be purified. After her child was born, because of the nature of a child's birth, the mom was considered unclean, that is ceremonial unclean, not able to worship at the temple for a period of 40 days. And so then she was to bring an offering And that offering was either to be a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, but if you were a a more poor family and could not afford the lamb, then you were allowed to bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. The fact that we see in the story that they bring the two birds, either the doves or the pigeons, mean that Mary and Joseph are pretty poor because they cannot afford the lamb. So they are able to provide the two birds instead. Now, they come to the temple then um, on this day in order to make these two offerings. Now, it's really hard for us to imagine the size and the grandeur of the temple in the first century. We're not talking about going into some sort of oversized church in order to make this offering. The temple complex rested on 35 acres of land. It, the conservative estimate of the temple and its courts is that 75,000 people could be at the temple at any given time. Others say, no, it's more of 125,000 people can be present at the temple at any given time. It is a huge complex. The temple was made up of four courts as well as the temple itself. There was a large outer court that was called the Court of the Gentiles. And now these courts would go all the way around all four sides of the temple. And so it's one court inside the next court, inside the next court, with the temple in the center. So you've got the Court of the Gentiles. Then you've got the Court of Women, where Jewish men and women could go. Then you had the Court of Israel, which was Jewish men only could go. Then you have the court of the priest, which is where the altar was located for sacrifices. And then you finally, you have the temple itself that had the holy place and the holy of holies. 35 acres of land, tens of thousands of people there at any given day. 
And so that's where they are going in order to make these two offerings. Each side of the Temple Mount had a set of 15 stairs that went up to the actual Temple Mount itself. Those stairs were 200 to 250 feet long. And so you have all these people coming up and then funneling through these large, massive gates that were located on each side of the temple. And so Mary and Joseph are actually part of a throng of tens of thousands of people that are coming up into the temple this day. They go up to steps, they go into a gate, and the first thing they do is they come to the court of the Gentiles. Now, not only was that a place where Gentiles could come to learn about God, it's also where the market was located. First thing you had to do as you came into the temple is you needed to take your regular money and you needed to exchange it for temple currency. You couldn't, because it had to be holy money. It had to be money that was sanctified. Then you would take that money and you would purchase whatever animal you needed to sacrifice. So you don't have 10,000 people all bringing a sheep on their shoulder. They come with money and they purchase the animal there at the temple. This is the market that Jesus is going to actually you know, throw out twice during his earthly ministry. But on this particular day, Joseph would have gone up. He would have exchanged some money. He would have bought the two birds. Then he would have made sure he had five shekels left over in order to be able to present to redeem Jesus. And then they leave the court of the Gentiles. They go up three or four steps. They go through another gate, and they go into the temple of women. They walk up to a priest. They present to him the two birds. The priest will take that, those two birds into the court of the priest that will be taken to the altar and presented as a sacrifice so that Mary is now, now considered purified. She can now begin to worship at the temple again. Mary stays there in that court, and then Joseph takes the, the, the infant Jesus, and he walks into the court of Israel where the men are. And that's where he presents his five shekels to redeem Jesus. And so, again, the picture of this, this is like a, probably an all-day thing. It takes a lot of time. There's lots of people around. It's, it, there's a lot of walking involved. And so they make these two sacrifices. They then uh, are, come back out of, that is, Jesus and Joseph come back out. They grab Mary, who's still in the court of women, and then the three of them begin to leave the temple complex. And as they are going either in the court of women, more, probably more likely in the court of the Gentiles, it's where they cross paths with this guy, Simeon. We meet him in verse 25, and it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon is a really godly man, really godly man. His name means God has heard. It's the name of one of Jacob's sons, the oldest as a matter of fact, and it's also the name of one of the tribes of Israel. And it's a very common name in the, time, in the first century. We're told that Simeon is righteous. That means he is a man of faith. He's a man who has a heart for God. To say that you are righteous means that you are seeking God and his ways. He's devout is the fact that he's a man who has deep reverence towards God and a commitment and a diligence to obeying God's word. And we're told the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
In our time, in the New Testament times, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and actually takes up residence within us. But that did not take place in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. He was present with people. And not everybody, but selected people would have the presence of the Holy Spirit with them in a way that would either give them greater insights in understanding or greater abilities or both beyond the norm. And that Simeon is one of these men who has, has the presence of the Holy Spirit with them, probably because God is going to use him to bring about some important revelation here. So Simeon is in a right relationship with God through faith. He's seeking to live a life of obedience to honor and please him. He's with the Holy Spirit providing enabling grace and insights. And we're also told that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is to say, he is waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior. Simeon lived in a very difficult time in Israel's history. The Romans were keeping the people under an incredibly harsh rule. Crucifixions were extremely normal. It is estimated that at least 100 men were crucified on any given day outside of Jerusalem, sometimes more. The Romans had a tax that was so high that all but the wealthiest Jews were actually living in poverty, living in what we would call a paycheck-to-paycheck existence, just day-to-day with the needs being met. And people were crying out to God for deliverance, but... They felt that deliverance was going to be political or military. But Simeon knows that only the Messiah is going to bring real redemption to Israel. Only God's Messiah is going to bring real salvation for the people of Israel. And so he puts his hope in God's provision of this Savior. And he looks forward to his coming with faith. Simeon is a great example for us. Uh, I think he's one of those men that many of us don't know a lot about, but when you stop to think about what's revealed about him, he believes that God hears him. He's a man of faith who seeks God in his ways. He has a deep reverence for who God is that leads to a diligent obedience of his word. He's filled with the Holy Spirit's insights and grace. And he places his hope in the coming of Christ, what we would know as Christ. It's a good space to live in. That's a good place to live in. And Simeon has received a promise from God in verse 26. It says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In some way, God had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he actually saw the Messiah. Now, that had to add a dynamic to the day, didn't it? Every day he walked out of his house, it's like, maybe today. (laughs) Maybe Messiah is going to be revealed today. Most Bible scholars believe that Simeon is getting older at this point in time, so maybe he's starting to say, okay, Lord, it better be today. (laughs) Not sure how many tomorrows I got left here. But there's a sense of anticipation there's a sense of anticipation. And as we come to verse 27, 
the day arrives. It says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you were prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He declares that God has sent our Savior. He recognizes who Jesus Christ is. He says, first of all, Lord, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for keeping your promise. My eyes have beheld. And so his hope being fulfilled, Simeon's heart is at peace and he's content. He's ready for God to bring him home because God's fulfilled the promise that he's given to him. And you can imagine the joy that Simeon has as he takes that two-month-old baby and he recognizes that he's holding the Messiah. He's holding his own Savior. And then he begins to proclaim who this is. He says, the salvation is for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. To say that that he is a revelation to the Gentiles was a recognition that at that time, the Gentiles, they didn't know the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't know about the one true God of Israel. They did not know about Jehovah. But here's the thing. But they're going to hear about Jesus. And as the book of Acts unfolds, we see God fulfill that, of how the gospel is going to be taken to the ends of the earth. They don't know anything about God now, but many of them will know about Jesus in the, in the coming decades. Because this salvation is for them as well. And it's for the glory of your people, Israel, because it's a recognition that Jesus Christ is ultimately the Jewish Messiah. Now, this would have been a shock to the Jews. You see, they really believed that God was going to bring judgment on the Gentiles. He was going to bring the hammer down on the Gentiles. They were going to pay for everything they put the the Jews through. And it would have been a big disappointment to many of them to realize, no, Actually, the same salvation I'm offering to you through the Jewish Messiah is going to be offered to those Gentiles as well. It's for all people. We have to remember that today that same message is there because the gospel is for everybody. The gospel message is for every individual. It doesn't matter how far they are from God in the lifestyle choices they're making now. What matters is that they hear the gospel and understand who Jesus is and put saving faith in him. It's for all people. And then Simeon unexpectedly points to the cross. Unexpectedly looks ahead of the cross. Verse 33, it says, And his father, that is, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. And it's a reminder that Simeon's not standing on a soapbox yelling this out to everybody. This is a conversation taking place between the three of them. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon looks ahead, and he sees the cross. It's interesting that he directs these words to Mary, not to Joseph. It's because the Holy Spirit is, is leading him to do that because by the time the cross comes, by the time Jesus goes to the cross 33 years later, Joseph has been dead for years. And so Mary's going to face that moment by, without her husband there with her. And Simeon is pointing out the fact that Jesus will be for the fall and the rising of many. He will reveal the hearts of many is the fact that, yes, some Jews will accept him as their Messiah, but most will reject him. And ultimately, they will crucify him. And there will be a sword that will pierce through your own soul. Nails and then a lance will all pierce the body of Jesus. And Mary, his mother, will be there to see it. And when she does and witnesses the crucifixion, Simeon is saying it's going to be like a sword's going to go right through your heart. Grief is going to enter your soul. Even as we come to the manger and celebrate Christmas, it's always good to remember that the shadow of the cross is always over the manger of Bethlehem because that's why Jesus came. And Simeon points out the glory that is the arrival of Messiah, and then he looks at the cross and announces to Mary, this time is going to be a grief to you. We know then, three days later, there is the glory of the resurrection that will follow. And then another person enters the scene, and that's Anna. And she's going to show us how to gratefully receive Jesus as our Savior. Look in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Like Simeon, Anna is also a very godly person. She's a prophetess. In fact, she's one of the few women prophetesses mentioned in the Bible. While there are times when we, you know, we visualize prophets as the one of saying, this is what's going to happen in the future. There's times when prophets were given the ability by God to do that. But the majority of the time, a prophet took what was the known word of God and supernaturally, with a supernatural level of understanding, applied it to what was going on in the present. That's the main prophet's responsibility. And she is a prophetess. She has this ability to share God's word with a special insight and understanding that's been given to her by God himself. And so she's got this special gift. She's been a widow for some 50 to 60 years. It's apparent in the context that she never had children. And now she has all these years lived in the temple itself. There were apartments, if you will, in the outer parts of the temple. And it could well be that she was there because as a widow without children, she didn't have any way to support herself. 
It also would have been, it might have been because she, as she got older, she was recognized as a prophetess. But she lives in the temple itself. And she has dedicated all those years, all those decades, to fasting, praying, and worshiping God. And she's walking by. I'm sure the Lord is leading her by. And she hears what Simeon is saying about this child that Simeon is holding in his arms. And as a prophetess, she's able to discern that Simeon's telling the truth. This is God's truth. This is who this child really is. And notice in verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. See, she begins to speak of the fact that this is Messiah, that Messiah has arrived. And it's interesting that she shares this, having received him with thanksgiving, she shares about him, but with those who are looking for the Messiah, those who had an open heart to what God was going to do. You see, most of the Jews of that day would have been focused, like many people today, on just day-to-day living. They worked, they took care of their families, they got around and debated about politics. I mean, all the different things we do today. But they weren't all super focused on God, and they were not focused on God's promise of a Messiah. But some were. And the people that were like Simeon and were like Anna heard what she said, and they began to believe that God had indeed sent his Messiah. I've often wondered what these people felt when this is going to be followed by 30 years of silence. <laughs> And those who were still alive when Jesus begins his ministry, what was that? Could they connect those dots? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But there's a saving faith that's taking place here. There are those today who are spiritually sensitive too. And there are those who are not. And that's why God says, you know what? As my followers, just live faithfully and share faithfully. Live faithfully in following me and then share the gospel faithfully with the people around you. And then we let God take care of the fact because he knows whose hearts are open and whose hearts are closed. We just live and we share. As we're doing that, I've learned there are times that you and I will be totally surprised by who chooses to respond to the gospel. And really disappointed to those who don't. But God knows. And so we are just faithful. And then God takes our lives and he takes our sharing. And boy, it hits those hearts that are open. And they respond. And they ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And so let's just wrap up a couple thoughts. As we come to the end of this Advent series. First of all, the birth of Jesus Christ that we celebrate this morning is a reminder that he always, God always fulfills his promise. When you look at the Christ child in the manger, you can have the assurance that every other promise that God has made to you, he will fulfill. He will fulfill. In Simeon, we see that example of a life that seeks God in righteousness that is devout in reverence and obedience and is hopeful about what God is going to do in the future. 
In Anna, we see an example of what it is to be thankful to God for the salvation he has given and then sharing the good news of the gospel with joy. And Simeon and Anna join the others that we've looked at during this time. They join Zacharias and Elizabeth. They join Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men. And here's the thing, as I mentioned earlier, I think. These are all ordinary people who are faithful to God. Before we meet them in the Scripture, they are just ordinary people living ordinary lives, but they were all faithful to God. And in that regard, they're just like us. Because we're just ordinary people. And by His grace, we seek to be faithful to God. And you look at how, what God does through ordinary people who are faithful. And so this Christmas, let's encourage each other to join them. To just be ordinary people in a church family who encourage each other to faithfully walk with God and to share the good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that you have fulfilled your promise. And then we think of the other promises that you've made to us, the promise to always be with us and never leave us, the promise that we will never be separated from your love, the promise that when we come to you in prayer and need that you have grace and mercy to give, the promise that as we deal with the weights that this world can bring, that even in the midst of all the emotion that can come out of struggle and challenge, that you can give to us peace and joy and a comfort that goes beyond understanding. And ultimately, we thank you, Lord, and remember the promise you've made that Jesus is returning. If we are here when he returns, we will be here to see his kingdom established. And God, if you take any one of us through death before then, the first face that we will see will be the face of Jesus as we enter eternity. And so God, even as you fulfilled your promise to send Jesus, we rest in the assurance that every single one of these other promises will also be fulfilled. May we live faithfully in your grace. And may we share the gospel with joy to the honor of your name, the building of your kingdom, and the salvation, Lord, of men, women, and children. And it's in the name of our Savior that we pray. Amen. One more song.
Christmas. So I just want to give this to you, but um, from everyone, thank you so much for serving here. Thank you for um, guiding us through the process. Okay, and just thank you for your friendship too. So just thank you very much. Thank you. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much. Um, Totally unexpected. And um, yeah, we're the blessed ones. We are. So thank you so much. It's great to be here. And uh, thank you for, for that very kind, generous gift. Wow. I'm not caught speechless very often. <laughs> but let's pray together and be dismissed. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel and Savior. May you now give us the grace to live for him and share the good news of the gospel faithfully and joyfully so many others may come to know him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. And again, Merry Christmas.